Hello, I'm Jeremy Lair, and this is The Money Movement, a show where we explore the issues and ideas driving this brave new world of digital currency and blockchains. So throughout the, the show here, um, we've talked at length about stablecoins, uh, about digital dollar stablecoins, um, and we've talked a great deal about their role um, in the future of the financial system. Um, obviously, it's an overarching theme that we're exploring here. And today, um, I think we're going to talk about what is the biggest story in stablecoins in the world right now which is the incredible rise of USDC. The digital dollar stablecoin, of course, that uh, Circle and Coinbase through the Center Consortium launched back in late 2018, less than two years ago. Uh, on the show today, uh, we're gonna talk about it, talk about its history, talk about its rise, and we're excited to also announce USDC version two, which we're gonna talk about a little bit later in the show. And today uh, was actually another major milestone. The episode title when we came up with this was USDC at 1 billion. Um, USDC has been growing in terms of net new in circulation at like 100 million per week recently. And just last night crossed 1.4 billion USDC in circulation. So this is part of a, a very, very big year. Um, since the January uh, pandemic outbreak in China, since late January, and then as that started to play out around the world, there's been rising interest in crypto. There's been tremendous uh, rising interest in stablecoins, and in particular in USDC, which has seen a 3x increase, growing faster than any other stablecoin uh, in the short history of these uh, uh, digital currencies. So USDC at 1 billion, an incredible rise, uh, and clearly the start of something much, much bigger is happening here. And so today, to reflect on all of this, and also to share, I think, some really exciting news about the next chapters for USDC, I'm excited to be joined by two of the top product executives from Circle and Coinbase. We've also been responsible for the development, launch, and growth of USDC. Joining us are VP of Product at Circle, Joao Reginato, and Group Product Manager for Crypto at Coinbase, Namil Dalal. Welcome, guys. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks How you for doing? Me, Jeremy. You guys, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it is awesome. Still so much work to do, though. Yes, there is. There is. Um, Obviously, uh, have had a pleasure of working closely with both of you and with the broader teams at Circle and Coinbase as we've kind of brought all this forward and, and seen this seen this growth. And um, you know, today's really cool. I was uh, mentioning at an all hands at our company earlier that it's amazing that two years in, we've never touched the smart contract. Right? It didn't get upgraded for two years, and and look at what it's done um, in that time. Um, and uh, and so. Uh, you know, anytime you touch these things, it's a big deal, especially when there's 1.4 billion of value uh, locked in them. I, I was talking to our team at Coinbase about this, and the thing we were just uh, reflecting on was if this were a bank, moving $1.4 billion would be such a huge deal. And just to see, you know, the, there was a lot of work that went in, but also just how relatively easy it is in crypto versus other forms was just really powerful. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, 
these private private key security and and all the protocols and procedures around them are pretty intense. Um, cool. So I, I want to actually start um, a little bit here, just with some of um, of the you know initial history. And you both played, I think, you know, critical roles in the first phases of growth of USDC. And I think as a result, you both bring, I think, really great perspective. Um, and I, I want to start out a little bit with, uh, you know, with that kind of earlier history. I'm going to actually pop something up on the screen and, and show this if I can figure out the right. Yeah, let's see here. So this is actually just very early days. So um, October 2017, you know, about a year before actually this, this actually launched. And of course, this is the sensationalized headline from, from CoinDesk. Um, but the idea of, of, a, of Center and the idea of uh, an open interoperable protocol for digital dollars and other, other fiat was something we were really excited about. And, um, and that had sort of grown out of like all the early work that we'd done in payments. Um, and you know, I, th I think um, the next piece here, this is just a little, again, a little sort of fun snapshot. Every project starts with a white paper and there was the original center white paper. And then we modified it obviously as, as we got together and, and launched this um, together. But I think this idea is still this idea that we're all pursuing, right? Which is an open uh, connected global uh, you know, system that makes it as easy to share value as, as we can information on the internet. And um, I think in particular, you know, this idea that um, we could eliminate artificial economic borders, we could enable a more inclusive, um, you know, global financial system that connects everyone in the world. Um, that sort of idea of a open, shared, inclusive, um, more evenly distributed, you know, global economic system is, I think, a big part of what inspired, inspired you know, you know, working on this, and I and I think um, you know the coming together of Circle and Coinbase to to kind of launch Center Consortium and then really put this out into the market a year later, I think was kind of born out of that shared set of ideas, um, and they're not unique to just Circle and Coinbase. I think these are ideas that bring a lot of people into crypto. But um, you know, I, I'd love to hear you know when you think about the the that kind of um, early phase. Um, you know, how that mission vision sort of aligns. And obviously we'll fast forward to where we are today in that, but maybe Namil, you could start with just sort of what brought you to this. And, and when you think about, you know, Coinbase more broadly, um, you know, getting behind a, a model like this. Yeah, I, I like used to laugh that there's a, for almost every new crypto, there's an origin story of like what got them excited, especially in the early years when it was, you know, less mainstream. And I think for me, I'd worked in financial services, spent about a year, and microfinance and microcredit and mobile payments around the world in East Timor, uh, in Seattle, the Gates Foundation, and in India, uh, working on a mobile payments microfinance pilot. And I think there's something about the open programmability that was just so exciting about early crypto. And you saw that with Bitcoin, and then you saw that even more when Ethereum launched smart contracts. So I think for me, at least on a personal level, that was a core uh, motivating factor. I think at Coinbase, there was just always an excitement around stable coins. And I think the big things there were that they were global, and they're portable. And I think a big vision we talk about at Coinbase is just creating an open financial system. Yeah. And so we saw the power of this like stability with global access. And that was just really, really powerful. And then number two is um, we're uh, founded by, by engineers and a core part of our perspectives have been about programmability. 
this general excitement around like programmable money um, and the ability to build applications on top, just like the internet, you know, is a series of different blocks. Um, we, we saw the same different opportunity uh, with, with Ethereum, uh, with cryptocurrencies in general, and then especially the power of stable coins to unlock more value there. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Joel, I, I, I remember, um, you know, in, in, uh, in the early phase of, of this saying like, we want to, we want to launch this, we want to launch this, I think in like three months, <laughs> it's like, a, you know, crypto speed is different than, um, than uh, say a lot of other industries, but, um, but it, it was pretty fast and, and you were, um, I think PMing a lot of things uh, at the time, different things, but um, kind of started PMing this. Do you want to maybe share a little bit about that, that your origin story with this as well, I think it's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, I've, I've been involved in Circle with uh, primarily with our, uh, you know, former peer-to-peer uh, -peer payments product, Circle Pay that we had um, back in the day that has been now retired. And, um, and sort of around that date where you, where you mentioned in the announcement, uh, the early announcement around Center, sort of the, you know, Q4 2017, I was, I was still heavily involved with Circle Pay back then and, and heavily passionate about, you know, this idea of, of bringing open and, and, and global peer-to-peer -peer payments uh, for, for the world, you know, in a way that, in a way that the user experience was going to be very accessible and it wouldn't be, it wouldn't include any, any high friction, any, you know, new concepts or, or cognition required for, for mainstream end users, but it would, it would uh, leverage public blockchains and all, all that infrastructure that we're passionate about in the backend. And then, and then I think you and, and Sean, you know, eventually, I, I know it was part of like a lot of conversations, but eventually you, you brought me into your office and you said, okay, we, we need you to PM um, this new thing that we're thinking about, and it is a stable coin. And, uh, and at the time it was, you know, hats off to you guys at the time, you know, as a PM, you immediately jump on the how, and I was thinking, how are we going to do this? This is, this is hard. Um, you know, how, how do we even begin? But, um, but I think, uh, I think uh, the, the shared vision and, um, and, you know, reconciling that with what we, what we always had as a vision uh, as part of circle, right. Which is to, to bring all of this infrastructure and to make it available for businesses and consumers so that they can, you know, hopefully build a much better uh, financial services infrastructure for the world. Um, that, that was, that was very, you know, it, it, it clicked with me very quickly and I was very happy to jump on that, but, but yeah, also, also the, uh, the ambitions that we had then were, were very significant. We wanted to get something out in the market as soon as we could. Um, but I think, but I think in the end we did the right thing, and we we had a very very intensive conversation with the industry about USCC before we we touched uh, you know the first few lines of code. Well, there, there was a lot of stuff being built already, but but in terms of the actual shape and the the attributes, the quality properties of the solution, um, I'm very proud that you know we had literally hundreds of conversations with folks in the industry, and it was the the feeling that we could have already at that point is that it was going to be very well received, and it was going to be something that was going to be um, foundational. So I'm I'm happy to to sit here like about two years later and to see that it was actually okay. Right. So, you know, back, back then, so obviously, um, you know, Circle and Coinbase had this kind of, I think, shared long-term vision for what's possible, um, open, an open financial system, programmable money, ubiquitous peer-to-peer -peer kind of connectivity kind of payments. But I think if you go back to the fall of 2018, when this like launched and it launched, you know, it, I think back then a, a lot of the attention was on, you know, 
how do you build a better tether? How do you build something that's more transparent, that's got regu regulatory frameworks around it, that's, um, you know, that's trustworthy, uh, ver verifiable, um, you know, there, there was sort of the whole ecosystem was saying, hey, this, like, this is needed. Um, and, um, and I think the, you know, while back in 2018, there were like early projects that were programmable smart contract based projects, like the early versions of, of Compound or other things were just starting, just starting to kind of emerge. Really, the, what I like to think of is like the bootstrap use case. It was like, you, you have to have a bootstrap use case. Bootstrap use case was like, you know, what I call the crypto capital markets. It was like, this is for people who trade, this is going to be better because it's actually got real rails. You can get in and out of it. It's trustworthy and it moves. And, and I think, you know, a lot of that, that early energy was on how do we get this to be a market or like a market infrastructure that could be used in a lot of places, knowing that once you got that in place, then people could depend on it for, for other things, get the liquidity there, get, get, get that there. Um, and, um, and so there was, there was a lot, uh, you know, a, a lot of that, in, in, in the beginning and sort of the, in some ways, like the MVP was like, make this simple for, for people to have good on and off ramps and get it out into the market. Um, you know, that, that's sort of part of it. It's almost like I see uh, USDC and stable coins as core market infrastructure. The same way we think about roads and bridges, you know, how much they enable, let's say the state system in America. In the yeah. same way, I think stable coins are, are really critical in that way. And I think, Jeremy, this is just a credit to you um, and to Circle, but I think when you came and talked to Coinbase about this, I think the things that got us very excited from the start was just trust and how critical at Coinbase, like trust is such a critical part of our brand. I yeah. think similarly for you, that was really important. Yeah. And that I think was very different from other products uh, on the market. And so the value to clear auditing, regulated parties, I think that was a critical part for us. Yeah. Another really critical part was just the consortium model. Yeah. And we saw value, I think like, in their the idea was to get more and more parties involved and try to build like a standard. Yeah. Uh, and so we saw value to the consortium model, drive adoption and, and build standards. And I think the thing that's really interesting at Coinbase and, and the same thing likely at, at Circle as well, was that it touched like all our products. Like we had oh, a yeah. wallet and Coinbase wallet to touch that. Coinbase commerce, if we ever want to make commerce a thing that yeah. uh, using cryptocurrencies, this is a critical uh, layer for that. Um, and it also obviously impacted our trading uh, and our ability to buy and sell cryptocurrencies. Yeah. So I think that there's just such a powerful, it's the base layer on which you know, almost anything else is built in the same way that a dollar or any type of you know, trusted fiat yeah. is a base layer for, for a, a whole economy to be built on. Totally, totally. I mean, we, we definitely, the standards as a core protocol, it's like HTTP of money, <laughs> you know, that, this set of ideas. And um, it's, been, it's been obviously, you know, Pretty amazing. We'll talk about use cases, I think, in, in a minute. But I, I'll pop one thing up here, which I think is uh, another thing to look at. I mean, uh, pull it over. Okay, here we go. Um, so this is like where we are today, and um, it's just pretty cool. As of August twenty seventh, right, one point four billion, and you can see where we were um, back then, and actually, like the growth, you know, from you know, zero to let's call it like 500 million. That was actually pretty fast. It was of, of, every, of any stablecoin project, USDC went from zero to 500 million faster than any, any other one, um, which, is, which is cool. Um, but obviously you sort of see this, this incredible rise um, this year and, and I um, sort of zoom in, oops, wrong way, you know, uh, just for optics, right? If we look at 2020, 
the outbreak in Wuhan where they locked down the city was like January 23rd. Um, people in the rest of the world didn't quite figure it out until early March. Um, and, um, and crypto has seen obviously a really big rise as an asset class, but stable coins have seen this incredible rise and, and USDC has seen this sort of 3x growth. Um, it, it's really, really astounding. And I think the thing that I'm interested in maybe chatting about for uh, a, a little while here is sort of what's what's driving all this growth and we we, we talk about it in, in different settings um but maybe first before we do that just like reflect a little bit on the on the growth itself and then and then we can maybe you know you know talk about what's driving it talk about all the different kind of use cases that are emerging yeah what i what i the way i felt in the last two years as we were you know monitoring growth of ussc is that uh is that you can actually looking back looking back is always easier right but not, not looking back you can, you can sort of pinpoint phases and i think um i think it's quite it's quite um you know broad in terms of how the industry was evolving the if you look at uscc i think in the first three to six months like we grew pretty rapidly that that's around the 300 million dollar mark i think and that and i i attribute that to the just to the product market fit that we had in the beginning as you said we were very pragmatic collectively right we knew that we had this major ambition in and how uscc can be a, a massive uh, piece of infrastructure for the industry but right there and then there was a need for you know just a regulated and trusted stable coin for for crypto uh, capital markets as you said and we hit product market fit pretty quickly so i think that first phase of growth was was due to that then 2019 was a little bit slower in pace but i think i think the way that i look into that now now, including for Circle, and I'm sure for Coinbase it was similar, is that it was it was a very strong building year, right? There was a lot of building happening in 2019. So there was a lot of actually adoption and thinking around how USC can be used in various use cases, but we didn't quite see the, the reflection of that. And I think now 2020, like we just saw an explosion and the explosion is coming from multiple angles. And I'll, I'll let Namil talk about, I think the, the DeFi angle, which I think is a very interesting one. But a couple of things that we have seen then early on, obviously COVID and the entire, um, you know, dramatic change that that happened in the world because of that, and uh, and the fight that a lot of um, a lot of individuals and businesses had to to stable assets, and and you know, it's quite easy to fly to stable digital dollars today uh, in any part of the world. So we saw a lot of demand due to that. I think we see an increasing trend in terms of businesses trying to explore more around, uh, you know, digital dollar-based uh, payments, whether they are B2B or B2C, and we can talk more about that. But then there was this whole explosion in DeFi that I think was very, uh, very interesting as well that is composing on that growth. Yeah, and I think from my perspective, having been in crypto for about six years now, there's always these boom and bust phases. And often we, we can call it bust, but really it's about retrenchment investment and like what we term biddling, right? Or building uh, in the crypto ecosystem. And so I think you see that with like uh, the price of Bitcoin went up, then it went down. And during that phase, Ethereum was developed and then that was launched. Uh, and then the ICO boom happened and then the ICO boom deflated. And during that period afterwards, it's just a tremendous amount of building. Yeah. And today we're seeing the growth of DeFi and then again, some tremendous growth. And so I think one observation I just have, uh, and this is maybe growing with a family where uh, my father had worked you know, at Bell Labs, uh, you can see the power of exponential growth in these industries. And I think for most people, when you compare linear to exponential growth, they don't look that different on a one-year phase. Mm -hmm. Like 
or Moore's law to just standard linear growth. They don't look that different. But what happens over like three or five or 10 years is just the tremendous uh, divergence in kind of the outcome. And I think that that is at least the early indicators that we're seeing uh, with crypto and with stable coins as well. Um, and then I think that like there's a number of different like things that happened the last six months. I think one big shift was the flight to safety due to COVID. And so you yeah. saw as the markets were, ta were tanking the, the traditional markets as well as the crypto markets, there's a huge flight to safety. And that was like, I think one big bump. But I think that the hottest thing, and maybe I'll just uh, tease it and then happy to dig in more, Jeremy, is the growth of DeFi. And I think the big shift that happened to the, recently was, I think the growth of Compound's token, which happened in around June, and then the launch of liquidity mining, which is a form of user acquisition. So happy to discuss that in more detail. But I yeah, think yeah, I mean, yeah. I think I think it is like you know, I I, I kind of like coming back to what you said earlier is like, you know, there's sort of like create a reliable market infrastructure that works in these markets. Like that that sort of like check we sort of had had achieved that with USDC. It's got tons of growth there. Like if you believe that stable coins as market infrastructure are going to underlie lots and lots of other things, like it's actually tiny right now it's you know as a as a robust market infrastructure you could imagine you know a trillion usdc um in, in circulation at some point but but um but yeah like the the um you know th this spring right it was this incredible time where kind of nearly simultaneously like you know clearly like the two killer apps of blockchains like people what's a killer app what's a killer app the two killer apps are stable coins which had moved to become the majority of transaction volume on, on blockchains, basically on, on Ethereum, like it, it, that was a, a major thing. And then, you know, credit markets, basically that run, you know, credit markets that exist on the internet that you can use stable coins with. And so you can lend and borrow in a decentralized way. And then obviously like the incentive systems behind those credit markets and the participation in them and the governance of them and, and sort of this really next level of sophistication in, Another another you know Lego brick, if you will, of market infrastructure, right? When we think about the financial system, you sort of have these sort of layers of market infrastructure. And in some ways, like we're seeing these layers built up and DeFi, you know, is in some ways another Lego brick. And now people can compose stable coins and credit markets and they can build, you know, there's probably 500 companies working on new payments and savings apps that are just built on open rails, um, which is which is which is pretty amazing. Um, I mean, I, I think um, I, I think th th it is amazing to just see just in the last few months. But like, let's talk about the future a little bit. Where you know, how big can can you know DeFi get? Um, you know, I, I, I'm not asking you to share like say Coinbase internal forecasts or whatever because people have different views. But um, you know, I, I guess how big how big can can these things get? What I'd say from my perspective is prognostication is so hard in these. <laughs> um, Just apply Moore's me, law and then they'll tell you how big it'll get. Well, <laughs> or more. I think there's a vision that almost all financial services move on this. This is a TCP IP, like some right. type of backend layer to move all financial transactions. So to me, the bullish case uh, that I would have for this is that all financial transactions in some way, shape or form are moving on this. And it sounds crazy, but I think there was a moment when on the internet, you know, there's all these independent things outside the internet and Absolutely. the internet can eat all that. And so I think Absolutely. to me, that's the bullish case. I think that there's a lot of different things and we can talk about this in more detail of how we would get there, but that's, that's a bullish case. Yeah. Yeah. How about yeah, you? To me, wow. 
to me, what's calling my attention, and it's something we, again, we talk about for a long time, but you know, but you never know when these things are going to happen, but it's, it's the programmability aspect. And I think a lot of what's happening in DeFi today has to do with that. Um, obviously these, these credit markets as, and these decentralized money markets started popping up, but all of a sudden, you know, end users uh, have, have a variety of those to pick from. And, uh, and I think this infrastructure allows just for the, you know, the, the, compar the comparison between all those to, to become programmable as well. And, and that's a lot of what a lot of people are experimenting with. So I, as an end user, I don't need to be shopping around to see what, where the best deal is today for my USCC. I can just, uh, you know, use a service that has, you know, leverage the programmability of all this infrastructure. And I think, I think honestly, we're just, that's just scratching the surface. I think we're yeah. only, we only saw the first few use cases of what can be done. But that, that's, again, only for credit markets. And we haven't seen anything uh, around payments. I mean, we, we see some people uh, doing a little bit of that with commerce and how you can now have like atomic, you know, commerce transactions, which typically have been like a huge problem for marketplaces like eBay and so on and so forth, right? You have the money coming in on one side, the good coming in on another side. And, and like, you know, that transaction is not atomic and, you know, and you have fraud and things like that. But with digital goods and marketplaces, what we're seeing is people playing with the programmability of having, you know, digital dollars on one side, digital good on the other side. And that's an atomic transaction and, and you eliminate fraud. You eliminate a lot of very interesting things. But this is just the start, honestly. It's yeah. the, tip of the tip of the iceberg. I mean, it seems like, um, I mean, we're, we're, we're certainly seeing, you know, more and more companies that are really using this in payments and settlement, in consumer facing, business facing, international facing, all these different things. We're, we're obviously seeing this growth in DeFi. I, I suspect we'll see, you know, as the usability and scalability, um, you know, continues to mature, we'll see far, far broader commerce applications. I mean, we're, we're obviously, um, we're, we're seeing some really interesting large companies starting to, to experiment here. Um, Obviously, you know, one of those one of those origin visions that um, ties back and we were showing it earlier is the this idea of a standard, the idea of interoperability, the idea that, you know, the digital wallets that we might use every day, um, you know, whether it's a, 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 a leading crypto wallet or something like a Square Cash or or a Venmo or a Revolut or uh, or the equivalent products in other parts of the world, and 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 even like forward-leaning tech, forward-leaning banks, neo banks, all these you know companies being able to connect to each other over the internet and being able to have a way to do you know near real-time, irreversible dollar-settled transactions, um, and it feels like we're getting really a lot closer to that, um, and and I think that then touches on this bigger theme, which is you know, tie, again, ties back to, I think, the, the mission behind Center, which is, you know, this empowering people, global financial inclusion, creating this more open and inclusive financial system. If you can create standards and anyone can implement them and, you know, products and services all around the world, that's sort of like the, the open access to information and communications that we have. And so um, I know... Uh, I know that's a passion for for you, Namil, and and for both both of the companies as well. And I think a big part of getting there is really, I think, two big things. One is like much simpler user experiences. So the 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 way that someone gets started with sending and receiving something like a stablecoin being much simpler, and then better you know better blockchain infrastructure basically, which is like how do we 
how do we support you know internet scale um, applications uh, and and internet scale usage of of things like USDC? Um, and I think with those that the world can can look a lot a lot more interesting. And so I guess part of that is um, trying to solve these problems together. And so uh, I think one of the things that we're going to talk about here is uh, USDC version two. Um, which is pretty exciting. It's I, I believe it went like live on mainnet uh, at like 11 this morning. So it's, it's live and which is awesome. Um, but um, there's, uh, as noted, there's like the first upgrade uh, in two years or, or over two years and it's pretty cool. But um, on that concept of how do we make progress against the goal of making this more easy for people to adopt around the world, um, one of the big innovations and, and, and one that I know Coinbase contributed a lot to is this gasless sends model. Um, and uh, I, I thought it'd be great to talk a little bit about that part of USDC 2.0 um, and, and I'll maybe turn it over to you, Namiel, to, to frame that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, like, like you mentioned, Jeremy, like we're in some ways in our pre-iPhone moment in crypto, there's still just a tremendous amount of usability that we're working on to make this easy and simple to let other people use. And I often get the question, you know, is how do I, when will there be a world when my grandparents and in crypto? And I think my, my goal is that there's so much complexity here. The goal is just to abstract it away where yeah. none of us think too deeply when we start a car or use yeah. an iPhone, what's going on in, underneath the surface. Right. It just lets us do what we right. want to do. And so I we're think not thinking about using secure sockets layer when we buy something on the internet, right? So like no early, that, early that. days of the web, you do, you're like, is it SSL? And then through a big dialogue in your face. And it was like, are you accepting this certificate? And like, you know, it's like this stuff. Yeah. Sim simple simplicity requires things to become invisible. Exactly. And so the goal here is just making more and more of that invisible. And I think in a lot of ways, like the way you move USDC today, it's like, I liken it to moving, if you wanted to pay someone $20, you'd have to go buy a euro and also spend that to be able to spend the $20. Right. That is the use case for, for anyone who doesn't, you know, work in crypto. It's actually worse than that. It's like, you have to go buy, uh, you know, uh, like energy credits. <laughs> exactly. So I think a core part of changing that user experience is making it easy so that you can just use dollars the same way you might spend dollars. You don't need any other currencies. You don't need any credits same way as that you can be able to take your USDC and send it out. And so uh, what we worked very closely with the Circle team on was just basically this idea of gasless sense. Um, and for a non-technical like definition of it, it's very simple is that you don't need that other currency. And so what that means is that, let's say you have a wallet, either that wallet can on your behalf decide to pay. So they don't, you don't have to ask the user to pay. And this is a really simple example. Often when consumers send money, they don't pay a fee. Like you might, if you send Venmo, a uh, dollar somewhere, you're not often paying a fee for that. It also means that third parties can charge a, can charge this fee in USDC. So for example, if a third party wanted to charge the fee, they didn't require the user to go get another token. They could directly just pay in USDC. And so the whole goal here is just cutting down friction and the complexity of this process. And I think this is just one step of it. I think what I like is not just the usability angle, but also the fact that this could be a business model for other companies, which then drives more and more you know, parties that might provide these services. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, um, I, I was, you know, you know, talk, talking to our company about this again earlier today in all hands and, you know, uh, and, you know, sort of before and after, and what does this look like? It's, you know, I, I think it's, it's really core to virality here, which is that, 
you know, there's hundreds of digital wallets that implement, you know, uh, these these standards that actually support USDC today. If 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 they upgrade to this capability, right, then it's more it is more like a Venmo experience. Like, I want to send you some digital dollars. Oh, how do I get those? Download any of these hundreds of apps from any country in the world, and you and and show me your QR code, and I'll send you some USDC. And now you can send it to someone else, and if there's a fee, it's paid out of USDC, or maybe there's no fee at all. And I don't have to worry about like, I need to go buy some Ethereum. What's Ethereum? What's gas? What is all this? So it radically simplifies it. And, and I think we're going to see, you know, lots of digital wallets that want to implement this very quickly, I hope, because I think it just, it will, it will help with mainstream use uh, for, for sure um, in a big way. So Joao, maybe you could talk a little bit about, um, you know, from from a ecosystem perspective, you know, if I'm a developer or I build wallets or 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 um, custodian or exchange or others, um, how can they take advantage of this today? Like, what do people need to do? Yes, um, th there's a there's a couple of different ways, and we intend on also uh, you know producing more documentation and more uh, you know just concrete examples of how developers can take advantage of this. But we are happy. I think Namil and, and some other folks on the Coinbase team, and and uh, we have some folks on the Circle team, always present on on the Discord channel for USCC. And there's always a lot of developers asking questions about how to implement this or that or the other on top of USCC. So happy to answer questions there. But essentially, if you go to the if you go to the USCC uh, GitHub repo, you know you can have a look at the at the smart contract infrastructure, and you will see that essentially USCC 2.0, as we said, uh, includes this new capability. It's a new set of operations on the smart contract that typically a wallet provider would benefit a lot from. Um, so you would have to wire up your your infrastructure into those those new operations to you know. To implement, uh, you know, as Namil said, depending on how you want the UX to be, do you want to subsidize the cost of gas? Do you want to charge a user and, and take a take part of the actual USCC amount that is about to be sent, or do you want to charge that on the receiving side because it's a slightly different business model? So, um, you know, the 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 UX is going to vary, but essentially you're going to communicate with the smart contract in a slightly different way with with these new operations that we have. And, uh, and as I said, we're, we're gonna work on producing some documentation and, uh, and examples of how this can be used, but uh, we're happy to answer questions on the, on the community uh, Discord channel. Cool, it's awesome. So um, hopefully we'll see some stuff shipping really soon. Um, and obviously we'll, we'll update that online. Um, and you know, this, this sort of usability problem is, is one, of the, one of the problems. And there's more to that, obviously. There's like issues like identity and naming, um, you know, like long addresses and things like that are, are complicated. And, and, you know, there's decentralized identity and naming models uh, that are that are you know, being developed. And those are, I think, ultimately, like really complementary to things like USDC for simplifying, um, you know, payments. I know one, you know, one of the other big areas, um, and we've we've talked about it at a high level, and I think we'll probably keep it at a pretty high level here today is, you know, if we think about USDC as a protocol, which it is, and as a standard, um, we want to make sure that that standard works, you know, broadly, that it can be used on different platforms and infrastructures. And earlier this year, we talked about a multi-chain framework for USDC. And I know that there's a lot of work happening around that. And, and I think one of the things that we'll see is a lot more innovation happening in, in third generation blockchains that are coming out and um, getting to a place where, you know, people can have very payment oriented blockchains and better device oriented blockchains, 
um, and, and a lot enterprise oriented blockchains, a lot of different use cases that are there. But I'd, I'd love to hear both of you guys talk a little bit about the scalability, you know, piece of this. If if uh, if major consumer companies want to start using this as a standard in the next 12 months and are pointing tens, if not hundreds of millions of users at these networks, um, you know, how is uh, how are we going to have USDC uh, support that? Yeah, I'm happy to, to dive in here a little bit is that I, I liken a little bit to like the days of the modem where we're still very early sure. in terms of people right. that are available on this. And I think there's some good studies that compare Bitcoin, let's say to the Visa network and in terms of what the throughput and uh -huh. uh, scalability of those networks are. And to their credit, like every blockchain has realized this and is working on some solution. So for example, Ethereum is underway on a large project called Ethereum 2.0 whose job is to increase scalability of the network. Uh, and there's a number of different proof of stake chains that have launched um, to enable this. And I think to me, like as a principle, the goal is that USDC should be available wherever developers and users are over time. And just like, you know, the space changes so dramatically so quickly, I think the goal is to continue to do that, to enable USDC, like, you know, on Ethereum today, potentially other chains in the future, wherever developers, you know, users are really clamoring for it. Yeah, Joao. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think um, if I can share a bit of an anecdote, N Namil and I, we shared a, a, a business trip a few months ago and we were in, in DC talking to this very important uh, entity over there. And they, I think they asked the question, right, Namil, you know, why did you choose Ethereum in the first place? And would you choose Ethereum again if you were to design USCC uh, today? And our answer was very easily yes to both, right? Um, like the, the reason why we chose Ethereum was clearly because of the developer traction and, and the, where, where the developer eyeballs and the end user eyeballs were at the time. But even today, if we were to build your SEC again, that would probably be the, the, as we call sometimes the canonical chain of choice. But, but the, you know, the, the way that we see USCC is also as a standard, right? As a, as a, as a almost like a protocol layer and, um, and so we have to be we have to be open to to bringing USC to new places where you know where interesting thing is happening, and uh, and especially as as different you know public blockchain infrastructures develop you know with with particular specialities whether it is scaling or use case or whatever it is if if that brings orthogonal growth and and use cases for for the kinds of things that we are passionate about, I think it's it's natural that that we would gravitate and and, and look into supporting USSC on those on those infrastructures as well. Yeah, it seems like for sure the next year, there's just intensifying work on the infrastructure layer. You know, coming from a lot of different places, um, and um, and and sort of digital dollar standards are going to be uh, in focus for everyone. Everyone wants to have um, a digital dollar standard that that works on the internet. Um, so it's a it's pretty pretty awesome, and I'm I'm excited about what I think we'll see uh, kind of coming there. Um, lots of other things we can talk about, obviously, around you know broader adoption of this within the financial industry, like how do people you know fully embrace things like compliance with travel rule, reputation and risk, um, and and as we talked about, you know the the beginning phases of like programmable you know, pro programmable money. I mean, maybe we could just talk for a minute about that, which is we have the example of DeFi. Um, what are some other um, either real world or conceptual examples of kind of smart contracts that are already demonstrating kind of the programmability of, of stable coins? 
Yeah, so for, for my end, I think I'm just tremendously excited about all these different use cases. Um, I think that decentralized exchanges, I think are a really interesting category, a lot of innovation going on. Um, and so like you see for like Uniswap, Xerox, there are a number of different exchanges out there. I think that's one really interesting category. Um, I think another really interesting category is other forms of financial services. So for example, insurance options, yeah. uh, some types of derivatives. So DYDX is a derivatives platform using smart contracts. Um, I think that options is companies like Open uh, who provided yeah. that. And then I think insurance is another really interesting product category that there is a world where that could be a smart contract rather than just real world institutions. Yeah. Joao. I'm sure you have lots of ideas as well. Yeah, there's so many. <laughs> yeah, there's so many. Um, I'm, 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 I'm really interested in what's going on in, in commerce. I think there's some people exploring, as I said, you know, especially with, with a couple of digital goods marketplaces, um, you know, this idea of, of atomic commerce transactions where you have, you know, digital dollars coming in on the one side and, 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 and an output of digital goods on the other side. And, and the, um, the amount of infrastructure and operations that you scrape off of the surface of earth when you when you implement things in that way, I mean, it's it's really incredible how, how these marketplaces are gonna look like and how different they're gonna be once you achieve that. The other thing that I think is interesting, it's a very, it's a primitive that I think it's being exercised again and again and again, and it has a lot of pitfalls from a security point of view, but I think we are maturing really fast, is this idea that you can lock um, you know, digital dollars in the form of USC, and then and then conceive how you can generate other tokenized uh, assets uh, behind that. And that can be simple things like you know an in-game currency that you tokenize based on you know USC that's being locked in some place, just because perhaps you want to brand uh, you know an in-game currency in a particular way, but you want it to be interoperable and and just as valuable as dollars are. Um, but also how you can lock that USC to, you know, to generate um, other forms of, uh, of derivative um, digital assets. And I think that, you know, what Compound built with, uh, with CUSCC, it's, it's really interesting in, in the mechanism. And I think a lot of other people are exploring that for a number of different use cases. I'm, I'm very, very interested in that primitive as well. Sort of the connection of the, the real world and tokenization is obviously one people get excited about. Last week we had Securitize on and and they you know, had a tokenized equity example that um, pays dividends. It's an equity that pays dividends and the dividends are being paid in USDC um, because it's a, the equity itself is reflected in a smart contract. And so when the, when, the, when the dividends come, you can automate them out and anyone who's a token holder is receiving USDC, which is really, really cool um, as well. Um, and I think we'll, we'll kind of go, we'll see going deeper down the stack of, of financial contracts basically that are, that are written that way. Um, so obviously there's a lot more we could cover there. Um, uh, just, I, I wanna get kind of some of the closing thoughts and reflections, but sort of, you know, we obviously have talked a lot about where it is today, a little bit about where it's going. You know, what does this look like um, in three years? Um, and, uh, you know, and maybe the, the <laughs> I always like to ask people the question, like, we'll keep it simple. What's the uh, USDC in circulation at the end of 2021? So what does this look like in three years? And then a prognostication on USDC in circulation at the end of 2021. I'm, I'll start with you, Joao. Okay, I was hoping the mill would. <laughs> uh, okay, how does this look like in three years? I think I, th I think the uh, one of the things that we have been working a lot, at least on the circle side, is this is this um, 
is how do we support this transition phase, right? Where, where a lot of businesses especially are beginning to, to understand the quality attributes of digital dollars and, and, the, and the benefits of those, but they still just have a tremendous amount of legacy, you know, business processes and, and, and funds flows that they need to continue to work with, whether it is to their end users or to their business partners. And, and so how do you transition whether it is you know consumer to business or or business to consumer and B two B payments uh, from or or how do you allow things to 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 live in a, in a hybrid way between the current world of fiat and uh, and the world of digital dollars such as USCC and so I think in three years I, I I would think that we would we would have made like a lot of progress in terms of transitioning businesses over to something that is a lot more native on, on infrastructure such as USCC in such a way that they are accepting and making a lot more uh, payments volumes in this new infrastructure and don't, don't have to convert, you know, between this and the old world, so to speak. Uh, the, I, I, I'm, I'm never a big fan of analogies, but in a way, I, I always try to think about this in, in what happened with the digital photography and when this emerged. Uh, you know, digital photography was sort of a, a poor version of, of normal photography, right? And so what a, what a lot of people would do is they would they would utilize that new form factor, but they would in, inherently go back to the previous one. So they would print their digital photos, right, and keep them in that way. And as you started having more and more utilities, and basically today you can do so many different things with digital photos, nobody even thinks about going back to an analog uh, version of that. I, th I think that's what's going to happen in three years to USCC. There's gonna be so much momentum and so much traction with use cases that are native in USCC, whether it is you know, payment settlement and B2B payments and all these forms of, uh, and credit markets as well, especially. And I think, I think we're gonna see you know, a significant more amount of business just being done on, on USCC and not going back into fiat. A prognosis, did you say for the end of 2021? 2021. Um, <laughs> I would. I, well, I, you could take the weekly run rate right now and just extrapolate. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think easily we gotta we gotta be able to do to do a ten x uh, by the end of twenty twenty one. So I would expect something like fifteen to twenty billion at least uh, in terms of size. I like that. All right, Namil. So I agree with you. I think one big vision to me for for. USDC is that we move companies, tech savvy companies, let's say in Silicon Valley, from yeah. the traditional finance stack to a USDC or crypto intermediate finance stack. So I think that's one clear cut opportunity. Very much agree with you, Joao. I think the other things that I find very interesting, Coinbase has invested and grown a lot in terms of commerce uh, and has been opening up in more and more geographies. And I think the opportunity to do worldwide remittances or commerce is another really critical use case that'll be on the retail end. The third one is that we've seen DeFi, and in a lot of ways, DeFi, they're, they're a mapping of what we see in the current world. So I call it kind of like finance 1.5. They take things we've seen, a bank, an exchange, and map it into a primitive. And I think the quote that I love is from a friend of mine is basically a lean into weirdness. And the next wave of things are like, the, to me, the finance 2.0 things are things that don't look normal. Um, in, in the current world. I'll give you a really simple example is that most financial exchanges, the goal is maximize, minimizing slippage um, is the goal, right? And that's because there's a set number of assets on the New York Stock Exchange. But if you have t-shirts, if you have other forms right. of goods, tokenized idea of exchange is totally different. Totally. And so this mapping of like what we have today and just putting down the blockchain is not going to work anymore. And so I think what I'm tremendously excited about uh, is that I don't know what's going to come from yeah. that, but I sense there's something really interesting and it's going to reflect the fact of how the usage of crypto is going to be different 
from traditional financial markets. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of uh, a prediction, uh, I would probably in the same order, I would say about 10, between 10 and 15 yeah. billion is the growth that I would see. I think the one thing I'd say in the space is that it just takes one or two things hitting. Like we've seen this growth in the last, you know, just the last six months, really. And yeah. there's like one or two instances. Yeah. The same way is that like, I think that's a vision. Yeah. Beyond that though, like one project hitting in the right way and suddenly you could bring many, yeah. many people online. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can, I, I can think of even a few projects that I'm aware are kind of cooking that themselves like could contribute a billion or two themselves. So <laughs> it'll be interesting. Um, super awesome. Um, really, really excited and, and so pleased to have both you guys on to reflect on the growth and success of USDC announced USDC version two and look forward to uh, the continued collaboration. Thanks Thank so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So obviously, um, really exciting times in stablecoin land um, with USDC, uh, a lot to reflect on there. Um, and uh, we'll be, I think, trying to share a lot of the thoughts and quotes and, um, and clips and other things out of this, because um, I think it's a, it's a great moment in time. Um, next week, we're going to continue on some of these themes, but we're going to explore something a little bit different, which is what is the relationship potentially between digital dollar stable coins and central bank digital currencies? Will they coexist? How might that take place? We're going to be announcing the lineup for that soon, but it should be a tremendous show with several individuals who are very close uh, to these discussions. Until next time, stay well, stay safe, and stay informed. Thank you. Thank you.